0: You're listening to the Redeemer Theological Academy with Pastor Brian Cashelmeyer of Redeemer Lutheran Church, Los Alamos, New Mexico. On the Redeemer Theological Academy, we mine the riches of the Scripture and the Church Fathers and find in them Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer. Here's the Academy with Pastor Cashelmeyer. Welcome back to the Redeemer Theological Academy. Now, In today's academy, uh, we're going to continue and we will finish our discussion on Isaiah chapter 11, in which we see this root of Jesse, the one upon whom the spirit of Yahweh rests, bringing people into his kingdom, bringing them out of darkness into his light. Okay, let's uh, go ahead and begin with verse 11 of chapter 11. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Alam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. Now again, this language of in that day is pointing toward a future fulfillment. Typically, when we talk about that day, in the book of isaiah we are talking about the messiah it is in the day that he comes the salvation that we've been waiting for where creation is restored and everything is made right so it is a future event and this fulfillment will be seen in that day so now you have the promise and the remnant clings to this promise because the remnant is the, the remnant is the one who holds to this promise by faith so the early church father, Eusebius, would, would comment that in that day refers to the time of the Epiphany, when everything is made manifest, when it is revealed to the eyes of all. So those who are in darkness see this great light. And so it's in that day these things will be fulfilled. So in that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people the remnant that remains of his people. And so he will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant. Now, the remnant, again, are those who believe. They are the smaller number of those who hear these words and cling to these promises. Now, as we talked about in the previous chapter, remember, a remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to El Gabor, mighty God to the second person of the Holy Trinity who is in flesh, the one who is God with us, Emmanuel. And so, the mighty God, Emmanuel, will come to dwell with his people, and the remnant will return. Now again, remnant is that small number. And as Isaiah said back in chapter 10, For though your people Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will return. Destruction is decreed, overflowing with righteousness. So, again, this remnant is this small band of believers, this small group. Now, ultimately, in that day, we see this when that small band, the apostolic band, the disciples, hear these words of Jesus. The great light comes into their midst, and they hear and they believe. But it is a small group. The majority of Israel does not listen. Instead, they put to death the author of life. And so, Paul, when he comments on this to the baptized in Rome, he says in chapter 11, So, too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And so, this remnant is this small group, a small group of Israel. But yet, also, when this gospel goes out to the nations, it will be a small group of the nations. So, when this language of the second time, the hand of God will be extended, using the imagery of Exodus, recovering the remnant of his people, and then listing all these places where the people are, in Assyria, Egypt, Pathros, Cush, Elam, Shinar, Hamath, and the coastlands of the sea. So, the fulfillment of these things begins on the day of Pentecost, as Luke records for us in Acts chapter 2. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So, remember that first the gospel goes to the Jews. It's in Jerusalem. So, first the remnant of the Jews come to Jerusalem, and they hear and they believe. That small band. And then the Torah, the instruction of God, goes out of from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so when you continue in Isaiah chapter 11, in the very next verse in verse 12, it continues on this theme. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Now, again, this is this imagery that is being fulfilled on the day of Pentecost when Peter is preaching and saying that all these things that are happening before your eyes are the fulfillment of the promises of old that the prophets had proclaimed would take place. Now, in the book of Matthew, for instance, in chapter 12, Jesus, when he instructs, The disciples. Remember, he sends out the apostles, and again, you go to the Jews first, because first this signal will be raised up for the nations, and first you'll have the remnant of the Jews come into the kingdom, and then you will have those who go out. So, in Matthew chapter 10, when Jesus sends out the twelve, he instructs them specifically and says, go nowhere among the Gentiles. And enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so when Jesus, before the crucifixion, sends out his disciples to bring in the lost sheep of Israel, those who have been banished, and then it is not until after the resurrection and the ascension, as we have recorded in the book of Acts, where the people from these, these banished lands begin to come to Jerusalem, and then, and only then, does the gospel go out to the nations. So, for instance, in Acts chapter 13, Luke records this for us, saying, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the nations, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And So this is in Acts chapter 13. Of course, that same theme ends the book of Acts in chapter 28, where the Apostle Paul speaks and says, The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through the prophet Isaiah, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, And with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. And so Paul goes on and he comments and says, Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. So in that day, these things will take place. The first... God will turn the remnant of Israel back to him, that small number of Israel that will hear this promise and truly believe in the fulfillment of Emmanuel in Jesus of Nazareth. And then the preaching of Christ will go to the ends of the earth. Now, back to Isaiah chapter 11. In verse 13, Isaiah continues to expand on this, explaining this in that day, and the things that will transpire before this happens. So, he says, the jealousy of Ephraim shall depart, and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. Now, in this passage, what we have is this picture of the divided kingdom, that Ephraim is the north. And Judah is the south. And so in the days when Isaiah is preaching, you have a divided kingdom. You have the kingdom of northern Israel and the kingdom of southern Judah. But in that day, before that takes place, no longer will you have a divided kingdom. Ephraim and Judah will no longer be an animosity towards each other. And of course, we see this in fulfillment during the days of Christ, when you no longer have that divided kingdom. And so in that day, but before that day, these things will transpire. And then Isaiah goes on to picture these things in that day, what will transpire after this kingdom has been brought back together and the king comes to reign in his eternal spiritual kingdom. So Isaiah writes in verse 14 saying, But they shall swoop down on the shoulder of the Philistines in the west, and together they shall plunder the peoples of the east. They shall put out their hand against Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites shall obey them. Now this, this picture that Isaiah paints before our eyes, of course, is this, this animosity first that the people had with each other, northern and southern kingdoms, but then also this animosity that the people of God continued to have in the land of Canaan with all these other nations, all these other peoples, all of these peoples who dwell in darkness, who are trying to prevent God's kingdom from coming because the devil has blinded them and captured them in his spiritual darkness. Now again, since we are talking about God's kingdom, this is a spiritual kingdom, a kingdom that comes by the power of the word. The Holy Spirit connected to the preaching of the word, working in the ears of the hearer, opening up the heart to believe. And so when you have the language at the end of this verse, where the Ammonites shall obey them, in the Hebrew, this word obey is hear. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about hearing the word of the kingdom, the word that is proclaimed, so that these people will listen. They will listen to the preaching of the gospel, which will bring these pagan kingdoms into God's kingdom. It will take these people out of the kingdoms of darkness and bring them into the kingdom of light. So for this reason, when uh, Martin Luther, the blessed reformer, he comments on this passage, he makes it very clear that this swooping down is the gospel being proclaimed that is received with this supreme eagerness and obedience. And again, this word obedience is tied to the hearing, putting yourself under the listening of God's word. So Luther says that they will gladly hear it and believe it and subject themselves to it. And so when the word of God is spoken, the spirit of God is active, converting hearts. So, here we're talking about the preaching of the gospel to the Gentiles. They will listen. That is, be put under hearing, so that they receive the preaching of Christ. Now remember, in John chapter 1, first Christ goes to his own, but, as John says, they did not receive him. But, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name... He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, when Isaiah mentions the people of Edom and Moab and the Ammonites, this should bring to our mind this understanding of the restoration of creation. Because remember, Edom is is another name for Esau. And of course, you had two sons. Isaac has Jacob and Esau. Esau had this right of the firstborn, but he sells this inheritance. He does not treasure God's promise. And of course, this is where Jacob rises up, and Jacob is the one who is blessed, and it's from the line of Jacob that we have the Messiah. But now things turn around where Edom will come in under subjection to God's word, listening and hearing and gladly rejoicing in it. Or when you have Moab and the Ammonites. The Moabites and the Ammonites are directly related to the Israelites because remember when Abraham's nephew Lot was rescued out of Sodom and Gomorrah, these are the daughters of Lot had these sons. One had a son named Moab and he becomes the father of the Moabites and the other daughter had a son which is Ben Ami and he becomes the father of the Ammonites. So again, there is this, this direct connection to Abraham, but yet These people did not listen to the promise and they reject this hearing and they go their own way. In fact, the Moabites become kind of the epitome of all kinds of false worship and trying to lead the Israelites into darkness and worshiping God in this new and different style that God never instituted. Now, Isaiah continues in verse 15 and writes, And Yahweh will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt and will wave his hand over the river with his scorching breath and strike it into seven channels and he will lead people across in sandals. Now, again, when we talk about Egypt, what comes to mind is this slavery and bondage that the people of God were placed in, that the people of God were in this tyranny of darkness under Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's kingdom was trying to prevent God's kingdom from coming. So, again, Pharaoh is trying to hinder the preaching of God's word. So we have once more this Exodus imagery, that God will once again extend his hand and he will redeem his people. But when he redeems his people, he destroys the power of Egypt. And so when you have the language of God delivering his people with an outstretched arm, an extended hand, this again is that God brings this vengeance upon Egypt. He is the one who is the avenger for vengeance is gods. And God is the one who defeats Pharaoh, which enables his people to be released. Now, notice in particular here that we are told that Yahweh himself will lead the people. For Yahweh will utterly destroy the tongue of the Sea of Egypt, and he will lead people across in sandals. Now, when we go back to the accounts of the Exodus from Moses, it is clear that it is the second person of the Holy Trinity who leads the people out of Egypt. For, of course, the second person of the Holy Trinity is Yahweh. But typically, to teach us a distinction in the plurality of persons, Moses writes that this second person is the Moloch Yahweh, the messenger of the Lord. So that you have the father who sends the son. And so you have the one who sends the messenger. And so the messenger is the one who directly leads the people out of Egypt. And typically we have throughout the books of Moses that the second person is referred to as the Moloch Yahweh. I mean, you see this also as it continues into the book of Judges. So that in Judges chapter 2, The Malach Yahweh appears, always pointing toward the mystery of the Incarnation, when the Father sends the Son, and the Son makes God visible and known. So in Judges chapter 2, the messenger of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. So now we need to be clear here that Yahweh himself is the one who delivers Israel out of Egypt. But in particular, the second person of the Blessed Trinity. The Moloch Yahweh, the messenger of the Lord, is the one who comes to act, the one who is visibly and tangibly present, the salvation of the Lord, the Savior, who saves them and redeems them. And so again, in this image that Moses uses is tied to the image that Isaiah uses, that it's the same person who will deliver the people of Israel and lead them out. This is the pre-incarnate Christ, so that throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's the same person of the Blessed Trinity who always comes to seek and to save the lost. The one who always comes to dwell in the midst of sinners restoring them, bestowing his holiness upon them, and redeeming them, bringing them out of darkness into his light, being the one who delivers them out of the hands of his enemy. It is in the evangelical preaching that the idolatry of the pagans is destroyed. So it is the preaching of the cross, the message of Christ, who he is, where Christ comes and he delivers the hearer. And he takes them out of this bondage in captivity and slavery to these things of darkness, bringing them and restoring them into his light, giving them the forgiveness of sins and life eternal. So, in the last verse of chapter 11, Isaiah goes on and he says, And there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people, as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. And so, again, we close with this language of the Exodus, that God is the one who acts, that God is the king of kings, and he is the one who takes down the king Pharaoh, the king of Egypt who tries to prevent God's kingdom from coming. And so we have once more this image of the remnant that remains. The remnant, always that small number who trust in the promises of the king of kings. The promises of Emmanuel, of El Gabor, the one who will come and bring them and restore them. And so these are the disciples of Christ. These are the students who hear the word, learn it, listen to it, and continue to grow in their knowledge and understanding of it. And so this whole passage of chapter 11, again, is extending from chapter 7, in which we have the promise of the virgin conceiving and bearing a son, in his name as Emmanuel, And all the way through chapter 10, where we talk about this child being called El Gabor, and now he is the root of Jesse, and the spirit of Yahweh shall rest upon him, and he will redeem us. He will deliver us from the spiritual darkness of the devil in his kingdom, and he will take us into his eternal kingdom to be with him forever. Now, when we read through this scroll of Isaiah, again, we want to see Isaiah as an evangelist, one who is proclaiming Christ first to the people of God and to the nations. As we see in the New Testament, the book of Acts, when this message goes out and is extended and it is rooted in all of these images and themes that Isaiah himself gives. Now, as we're going through Isaiah, there's Four things that we want to look for that are fulfilled in the New Testament. Now, in particular, these four things are this. The rejection of the word of God, the remnant of the disciples, the replacement of the rulers with the apostles, and the reception of the message of the Messiah by the Gentiles. And so, we continue to see these pieces of the puzzle in place. And we see them put into place in the New Testament when the apostolic authors connect them for us, continuing to show us that this rejection of Jesus on the cross was already foretold in Isaiah and the other prophets. That a small number, a remnant, would actually believe in Jesus was already foretold. That the apostles themselves would replace the rulers. Again, the apostles are something very unique. These are fishermen, these are tax collectors, these are individuals who are not Levitical priests. They are not necessarily the scholars, with the exception of people like Paul, of course. But these ones will now replace and supersede the institution of the Levitical office that God himself had instituted under the Old Testament. And so this is a big change of events. And when you see this take place in the New Testament, you know that this was already foretold in the Old Testament. That Isaiah continues to give us this promise. And of course, again, that fourth one is that reception of the message of the Messiah by the Gentiles. So that this message will go out to the nations. And this should be a a huge indicator that these things are being fulfilled in the eyes of the people of God. As they see those people in darkness whose eyes are now open to see in Christ, Yahweh himself. And so we look throughout the Old Testament of these four things. And as Isaiah writes, he's constantly pointing to that future time in which these things will be fulfilled and they will be seen. And so he says in the next chapter, chapter 12 at verse 1, you will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Yahweh, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Now, again, this is that language of in that day. Now, when the early church father Eusebius of Caesarea, he's commenting and he's meditating upon this and he's teaching this passage, he can't help but once again see this directly connected to the previous chapter, in which you have a conversion of the Egyptians flowing from the previous chapter, so that the release from the bonds and remissions of sin was granted even to the Egyptians, so that you you see in the conversion of the Gentiles, those who are in animosity to the kingdom of God, who are trying to prevent it from coming, are then overcome by the preaching of the gospel. So, when you hear the language of the Egyptians being overthrown by the kingdom of God, what we're talking about is the preaching of the word, That in the evangelical message that goes out, this overcomes these earthly kingdoms that are in league with the devil in darkness. And so when the Egyptians in their kingdom is thrown down, what takes place is the conversion of the heart of the people in Egypt being brought out of that darkness. In the same way, Cyril of Alexandria also sees in this a direct flow from the previous chapter, so that in that day you will give thanks. For God was angry, and God's anger has now turned away that he might comfort. And so, just as the people of God had turned their backs on God, but yet God comes to them with the forgiveness of sins, the same theme flows towards the Gentiles. The Gentiles had turned their backs on God, and they preferred not to listen. But it is God who seeks and saves the lost, bringing them into the kingdom so that they can now hear the word of Christ. So Cyril of Alexandria notes, and he says this, After saying that those of the nations who were the most superstitious of all had been saved through faith in Christ and had come to the knowledge of the truth, he is right to present them as giving praise. Their proceeding to give praise and offering and thanksgiving to God as a kind of spiritual sacrifice, a Eucharistic sacrifice, would in fact be clear proof of them being totally freed from the ignorance and slavery of darkness that they used to have. So, see, the point that Cyril is trying to make is that just as the Jews are justified through faith, so also are the Gentiles justified through faith. See, the people of God had the word, but they refused to listen, which makes them no different than those who are not the people of God, who did not have the word of God and did not listen. So in both cases, those who refuse to listen to the word, the anger and the wrath of God is coming down upon them because of their rebellion. But yet the good news of Christ is that this anger of God is turned away, and in its place God now comforts those who hear. And so in that day, when God comes to dwell with sinners, both the sinners of the people of Israel and sinners of the people of all the nations, then in that day these people will be changed, they will be converted, and they will give thanks to Yahweh. They will rejoice in who he is and what he has done. And so this is the true worship of God. Sacrifice and thanksgiving. Giving thanks, this Eucharistic sacrifice. Not a sacrifice that merits the forgiveness of sins or earns the favor of God, for only Christ does that on the cross. Instead, this is a response of the people who were brought out of darkness into light. They praise and they rejoice in who Yahweh is and what he has done. They confess knowing that he is their salvation. Now, in the last chapter of the letter to the Hebrews, those who have been converted to faith in Christ are encouraged that through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Redeemer Theological Academy. For more episodes or to leave comments about this show, please visit our website, RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Again, that's RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Thanks for listening. And may our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, continue to be your life and salvation, your hope and your peace.